Welcome to Death Becomes Her, the mini-cast where we spend five to ten minutes discussing death, dying, and grief from a variety of angles. I'm your host, Lyella Kelly. Generally speaking, I'm not a huge reader of psychology articles, but occasionally something catches my eye, as was the case this spring. The DSM-5 is the fifth iteration of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. According to Psychiatry.org, it is the authoritative guide to the diagnosis of mental disorders. It contains descriptions, symptoms, and other criteria that mental health professionals use to make diagnoses. The latest version caused a lot of waves in the mental health community because it added a new diagnosis prolonged grief disorder. The New York Times ended up printing an article regarding the diagnosis called, How Long Should It Take to Grieve? Psychiatry Has Come Up With an Answer. The article caught the attention of a lot of people inside and outside of the mental health community. The new diagnosis became a really big deal. So what is prolonged grief disorder? According to the manual, Prolonged grief disorder is not normal grief. In adults, it's characterized by the following. The loss of a loved one had to have occurred at least a year ago. And two, the grieving individual must have experienced at least three of eight symptoms nearly every day for at least the last month prior to the diagnosis. The symptoms include things like emotional numbness, a marked sense of disbelief about the death, intense emotional pain like anger, bitterness, or sorrow related to the death, symptoms that many would say are a part of normal bereavement. This is partially why the new diagnosis got so much press. Is grief really pathological? The APA, or American Psychiatric Association, was concerned about just that. They said that the public was, quote, going to be outraged, that it would seem like you're pathologizing love. This did lead to some changes in the diagnostic criteria. However, those changes didn't squash the idea that people who are experiencing normal grief could potentially be identified as pathological. This led to a second concern that was brought to the fore by Joanne Cacciatore, PhD, an associate professor at Arizona State University. She says, I completely, utterly disagree that grief is a mental illness. When someone who is a quote-unquote expert tells us we are disordered and we are feeling very vulnerable and feeling overwhelmed, we no longer trust ourselves and our emotions. She and others feel that this has the potential to cause false positives, encouraging drug companies to persuade the public they need medical treatment to cope with mourning. We live in a culture that has been accused of being medicated into numbness by pharmaceutical companies, so you can see how this could be a concern. On the other hand, arguments exist that including prolonged grief disorder in the DSM means that mental health professionals will now be able to bill insurance companies for treating patients diagnosed with the condition, and it will also likely prompt funding to research into further treatments. Ultimately, those who really need help will be more readily able to receive help. There are two sides to every story, and the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. 
Saul Levin, CEO of the American Psychiatric Association, concluded that the addition of the disorder in the DSM-5 means that mental health clinicians, patients, and families alike all share an understanding of what normal grief looks like and what might indicate a long-term problem. In other words, no matter where we fit into the support system, we should be aware that there is something beyond normal grief. If we experience or observe symptoms of concern, seek the help of trained professionals. That brings us to the question, does so-called normal grief have a time limit? I recently read a quote by author Michael Hebb. He wrote, the idea of a timeline of a beginning and end point to grief is nonsensical. It's not about time. It is about letting go of a person we loved, a future we imagined them in. And it also means letting go of a part of ourselves that we may be attached to. There is a wound that is created, and every wound heals at a different rate. Healthy, normal grief will grow and change as time passes. And as that time passes, anniversaries will come and go. One such anniversary is happening this week. Eight years ago, an accident took the life of a 10-year-old girl that was loved by many of our friends. As expected, her family was devastated. In the early stages, they spiraled through despair, anxiety, bitterness, rage, guilt, and just about every other emotion. Their lives were dominated by grief. Years later, the grief is no longer acute. Time has healed wounds into scars that have become less sensitive. But the anniversaries create openings for new pain points. The would-haves add a new dimension to grief. She would have turned 18 last winter. She would have been driving. She would have graduated from high school. Maybe she would have moved with her friend to the East Coast. Anniversaries can be bitter reminders of a life and future that never became a reality. How can we support people through the normal grief that comes with anniversaries? As always, make yourself available. Don't disappear. In the time heading up to an anniversary, whether it's the anniversary of a death or perhaps a wedding anniversary that never will be, or something of the like, check in and see how they're doing. You don't need to bring up the anniversary, just follow their lead. When the anniversary arrives, acknowledge it and recognize the difficulty of the day. Your gestures don't have to be big to make somebody feel better. If you're struggling, a simple thinking of you text or even a heart emoji will let them know you remember their loss and that you're with them. On anniversaries that you think may be more difficult, you might send a card, flowers, or a care package. Any of these things will let them know that you remember and that you care. But what if you have a bad memory and dates are hard to keep track of? Set a reminder in your electronic calendar or on a paper calendar. Write it down. You're not expected to keep track of all of this stuff on your own. Take some time to think about people in your life whom you could support. Do you have friends who have experienced the loss of a family member, a child, a parent, a sibling? 
What about older people, widows or widowers who might be coming up on a wedding anniversary? Show that you haven't forgotten the ones that they've lost and acknowledge that their grief still exists even as time passes. Your efforts will go a long way to helping the bereaved to feel loved and supported. Thank you for listening to the Death Becomes Her minicast. Connect with me, Lyella Kelly, at www.leavingwellmt.com. Special thanks to Roman Belove for our intro and outro music. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, talking about death won't kill you. I promise.